No, I'm not doing my exercises. <laughs> not. No way. Welcome. Now, on my sheet of paper, I have a big reminder that says online. Because I always forget to welcome our online community. Forgive me for that. It's just that I'm a little bit older and I've got to, had to get used to doing it this way. So welcome, welcome online people. Give them a clap. The clap's because I remembered. Okay. And welcome to everyone else. I don't know what you've been reading lately, but uh, I've read a wide selection of books. And I don't even know if you're aware that we have two published authors from our congregation. You know, of course, about Claire's book. Claire's book is what genre? What kind of book? Fiction. Did I hear that? Fiction. So you know when you read it, it's not really going to be a true story. The characters are made up from her mind and from her knowledge and from background reading. We also know that it's set in the 1950s and it reflects the culture of the 50s from Tasmania, but not the culture of the 50s from China or India or Mozambique. It reflects the culture from here. You got that? You can read it. It's a good read. I won't go further. But we have another author, Adam, who's probably down on the lights. Is that true? You're down there, Adam, today? Anyhow, he often does the lights. He's a man of many talents. He writes in a totally different style, which I find a little bit difficult to read. I have read a little bit. He writes science fiction. Again, it's science fiction, but he has to research. And it's got to reflect the truth of science, but it goes further than that into fantasy. You got that? So we know when we pick that up that, again, it's not a reality of reflection of our world. Is that right? That's not. Um, I've read different books in preparing for this series. It's called Genesis, as simple as that. It's just called Genesis. Four weeks we're going to be talking about Genesis. I've read The Lost, uh, uh, the Lost Book of Genesis 1, The Lost Book of Genesis 2. I don't recommend that many of you read that. That was very hard going. I took notes. I didn't always agree with everything, but some of it I read and it provoked me to think differently. And it provoked some of the stuff that I had already thought. I read some commentaries on Genesis. Now, I'd read commentaries on Genesis many years ago, and all of the commentaries I read years ago, I was happy to read because they agreed with what I thought. But the newer commentaries challenge what I think. And it challenges some of the certainty about some things, but never about God and never about what God is doing. Why am I telling you this? Because when I say Genesis, most of us have 
a preconceived idea of how we should read it. You see, it wasn't written in the 1950s from a Tasmanian culture. It was written in a culture that I knew nothing about. And for years, there were little bits of gleanings and gatherings and scholarship and research. But over this last century, there's been a lot more discovery about the culture of Genesis. So I want you to know this. I want you to know that when you read Genesis, we have to put away our Western world way of looking at what and how it's written. It doesn't mean to say God doesn't speak. It doesn't mean to say it's not for us. But it wasn't initially written to us. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that the original readers could read it and they didn't have any trouble understanding it. They could fill in the blank spaces. You got that? And sometimes I can read a text and fill in the blank spaces, especially if there's a few errors in it or it's been auto-corrected. I can usually make it make sense because it's written to me. So it's written for me, but there's a lot of the hidden things that I have difficulty understanding. And my danger is, and what I do do automatically, is put my understanding of the world into Genesis. Have you got that? So as long as you've got that first. And of course, there's different ways of thinking throughout the world, and there's different ways of writing. There's different ways of looking at the materialistic world, the supernatural world, and just intuitively how we read. So I just want you to know that we are going to look at it. I'm not going to shock you in any way. I'm just going to share the fact that this was written to us for today. And it's all about the God story. It's not for me to find out the wonders only of Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and forget about sin issues. It's not about them being the heroes. The hero of Genesis is always God. The hero of us in this congregation today is God, made known to us through Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And your experience of Jesus and my experience of Jesus are quite different, and that's why it's fun talking. And that's why sometimes there's division because I want to convince you that my way is best and you want to convince me that your way is best. But God shows himself differently. He works in us and through us, suiting our personality, our experiences, our traumas, our heartache, our sins. That is our God. So my story and your story may be different, but the hero is God's story. So let's start with in the beginning, in the beginning. Or before I do that, I should let you know that it's going to be four sessions and I'm going to talk about, what am I going to talk about? God's purpose, God's promise, God's provision and presence. So they're the four topics over this next series. So in the beginning, God. In the beginning. Now that tells us 
that there was a time when there was a beginning. Okay? B for beginning. <laughs> and we know that there is going to be an end. And this period is called time. It's called seasons. And it's usually all about earth and humans. But before this beginning, there was already God. You got that? That's because we as believers universally believe that God is eternal. He has no beginning and has no end. God is that. So we agree with that one straight away? Now, what we don't know is what was up here before the beginning. We don't know. We get some clues that it was darkness and chaos on the earth when it was created. We get a few clues that there must have been some kind of beings because they do enter the earth's story. One of them you know well, the talking snake, and some demons and angels. So I don't know much about up here, but I do know there are what we call angels. They're probably hierarchical. There are what we now name as demons, and they too have entered this space at various times. Have you got that so far? You're with me. That's good. That's probably the hardest concept to go with at the moment. So in the beginning, whenever the beginning was here, and we don't need to debate that, we just know there was a time when the earth was created, there was a beginning and there will be an end and God is eternal. And God created heavens and earth. In the beginning, created heavens and earth. Now, our current understanding of heaven is influenced my, mostly by sermons and books and caricatures and cartoons and novels and all kinds of things. Uh, it may also be characterized by some of the verses that we read in the end of the last book in the Bible, Revelation, or some weird stuff that's written about in Ezekiel. But often we've not looked at the whole picture of what heaven is. So I'm going to have this little red hoop here to represent the God space. Okay? The God space. In the beginning, God created heaven, which I am going to call the God space. We pray today, our Father who is in heaven, the God space, the sacred space. And God created earth, the human space, where there's time, where there's space, where there's seasons, where there's seas and earth and sky. This too was a sacred space. And often we think about heaven as the you know, is up there and earth down here. Now, I'm also saying that reflects the biblical understanding of how they saw the world. 
These days, I am aware that the Earth goes round the sun. When was that discovered? I'm not even going to attempt <laughs> to say. But it wasn't always known as that. So the Bible talks about heaven up there and earth down here, and we kind of put hell further down. Is that right? We think like that. That's our way of understanding the Bible. We call that cosmology. We have a different understanding today. Doesn't mean to say they were wrong. Doesn't mean to say we are right. It's just that knowledge about the world changes over and over. But this is what we are to know. God created heaven and God created earth and we call it the Garden of Eden. This is how it was meant to be. God and humans living together. We read in Genesis about God walking in the garden. God chatting and talking and maybe sitting and laughing. God with Adam and Eve. Okay? So it was called paradise. It was called God's home or house or the home of humans, a place for humans to live together with God. We see them separately, but in the Genesis story, they are about paradise, where God lived with humans. And we know from the book of Revelation, if we read that, that heaven and earth are again going to meet in what we call the future paradise, where humans and God will be together without sin. But that's a story for another day. If you like, the heaven and earth space had no division. All was sacred. You got that? All was sacred, where heaven and earth was. But God had a purpose, and God had a project. And God's project was humans. Humans. Did you know the word Adam just means ground? That's all it means, human. So God created humans in his image to live in this home to produce a flourishing community and to work together as carers and rulers over this garden that we name Eden, this paradise, this garden. And these humans were given God authority to partner with God and each other to look after this God space, this human space, this heaven and earth. And this was going to be an ongoing partnership to care for this sacred place, the sacred space where heaven and earth met. Later on, we'll talk about a sacred space where God dwells as being known throughout the Old Testament as a temple. But more about that later. If you want to read that, you can. So this is what we read from the scriptures. God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. But listen to this. 
God blessed them. God smiled on them. God gazed upon them. God looked on them. And God, blessing means this sense of flourishing, wholeness, happiness. And this is what God did with the humans. Here you are. Enjoy what I've made. You have my smile. You have my pleasure. I am with you. God blessed them. And God said, they spoke. God spoke. And they heard. Be fruitful and multiply. Produce a flourishing community. Okay? That's what that means. A flourishing community. Tend and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over. I've just put that last, that that section of the verse. He said to them, I want you to have this partnership with me on earth to produce a flourishing community where we can subdue and rule in partnership. You got it? That's great, eh? Here, humans have this mandate to do this and to be fruitful in the house that God has created for them. It's a delightful partnership. This was God's project, the human project, the purpose to be in unity, in partnership, flourishing, enjoying, no division, in harmony. A good God created a good world for good people to live, to do good works. You got it? That's what it means. But it wasn't long before the humans mucked it up. You know that story. You know that you and I muck it up quite easily. We mess. We miss out. We blow it, whatever you call it. The Bible just says we sin, we do evil. We don't intentionally all the time, but sometimes it just happens. But this was a very intentional break where over a period of time, we hear a story about two trees and a talking snake. You got it? Two trees and a talking snake. There's a little diagram here. I have no idea why it's a snake. But I do know that this snake came from this space and entered Earth. You got that? The origins, there's some hints, there's some ideas about it, and in Revelation, he is identified as the devil, as Satan. Okay? Satan. Two trees. The most important tree is actually not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The most important tree is the tree of life. Because if you can eat from the tree of life, you will have life. And you'll have it abundantly in union with God. But there's a boundary placed by God. And it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so this lie of the snake comes to them. The lie of the snake comes and actually tempts the humans and says, God doesn't want you to be like God. That's the lie. You got it? God doesn't want you to be like God. Now, that's a lie. Because what did God say? In his image, in his likeness, he created them. Humans were already like God. And the Satan came and said, 
you will not. And so slowly we have this, the thoughts coming backwards and forwards. You want to be like God? They forgot that they were in God's presence. They were like God in a finite way, representing him, mirroring him into this world. So right, they decided that they would eat of the fruit. And they were banished. And so we've lived like this in separation. They lost access to the tree of life. It's a great study for anyone who's got time and delight and wants to, to look at that concept, the tree of life, throughout the scriptures. What did Jesus say when he came? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Through Jesus, we have access again. More about that later. But we're going to look at now we live separately. So how does heaven and earth meet again? Because we now live in exile, away from the garden that God created. And we've mucked up how we rule. Now we exploit. Now we take and take and take from the earth. Now we live differently. This exile we read about from Genesis 3 to 11, read it. It is a woeful story. It's a tale of woe. It's a tale of death. And it ends in the Tower of Babel. As the story continues, there's Cain and Abel, sibling rivalry, Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, don't get along as brothers. There's Joseph and his ten brothers. And there's murder and polygamy. There's hierarchical communities. And there's women of no value. There's slaves. There's exploitation. But in it, there's still good because humans are created like God, in the image of God. And so we've got the beginnings of civilization. We've got the beginning of music. We've got bronze tools, civilization, cities built. But with this good comes accumulated wickedness and evil, so much so that God cannot tolerate it. Now, I want you to hear that. God could not tolerate that evil. I have many people telling me today, and it feels like there's more evil in the world now than ever. But there was a time when God could not tolerate it any longer. And we come to the story of the climax of the wickedness when creatures from the heavens or uh, some kind of creatures start to intermarry with women. You can read that story. And evil abounds. The dark threads of an independent, non-God-honoring community that ceases to flourish in partnership with God becomes a stench. And this God determines to judge it. There's one righteous man, and his name is Noah. And through Noah, the earth is spared. But a new creation begins, and that same mandate is given. Be fruitful, multiply, and rule over this earth. It's not long before that dark thread continues and there's a group of people who say, okay, let's build a tower, the highest tower we can. 
Let's build a tower up to heaven so that we can all live together here and understand each other and so that we can be in this place and we will create our own gods and we will make a name for ourselves and we will determine how to live. And God comes down and scatters the people, gives them different languages because they of themselves did not obey the command to create a flourishing community. Instead, they wanted this one place, a flourishing community, to populate the world and to go into all the spaces and to tend this big world that God had given us. So the people created to live in harmony with God caring for each other, producing a flourishing community to tend and care for this world under the authority of God, in partnership with God, end up like this. And we come to a very dark part of the story at the end of Genesis chapter 11. People made to enjoy God, be friends with God, are now at enmity with God. And into this darkness, we'll pick up the story next week when a homeless nomad comes as God's promise. But I can't leave you there in darkness today, can I? I can't leave you in exile because this God entered our world through Jesus. It says, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And this Jesus is God. He was with God. And all things are to be united in him. So this Jesus came and he absorbs our sin. He came and he took our sin upon him so that we too could be touched by heaven. And we too can once again enjoy harmony with God and work at reconciliation with others, that we too can learn to love God with all our heart and enjoy him. And we know that one day it will be like this because of Jesus. Paul reminds us in Ephesians that the purpose of God is to unite all things in Christ for the glory of God. And this is possible for you and me today to live in harmony with our God as we take the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Saviour, our Lord, to have heaven touch our lives by inviting this God to live within us so that in a way heaven touches our inner being. That is the big story of God. May God give us wisdom. But to finish, I actually want to read a celebration of this from the message translation because Psalms is full of meditating, glorying, celebrating the story of creation. Listen to this. Yahweh, brilliant God, brilliant Lord. Yours is a household name. Nursing infants gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers, Shout the songs. If you don't know that, go to Hope Discovery Kids and you'll hear them. 
toddler shout out songs that drown out enemy talk and silence atheist babies babble. I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in the settings. Then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look at us? We so narrowly missed being gods, bright with Eden's dawn light. You put us in charge of your handcrafted world, repeated to us the Genesis charge. You made us lords of sheep and cattle, even animals out in the wild, birds flying and fish swimming, whales singing in the ocean deep. Yahweh, brilliant Lord, your name echoes around the world. Psalm 8, read it this week as a celebration of who our God is and who you are. Amen.